let's talk about brand activism. How is your business or your company putting out information or supporting causes that you feel are native to you? Currently, as we're going through a pandemic of COVID-19 and also a pandemic of racial inequality, social unrest, how brands and companies support these causes and listen to public health officials and go about their daily business has become a very hot topic. Today's guest is Chris Ruby, who is the CEO of Ruby Media Group and is a second time guest here on Dr. D's Social Network. I love having Chris on and her very straightforward approach. She provides excellent information and this time is no different. We dive deep into brand activism and really all things marketing, PR, and the internet. I think you're really gonna enjoy this conversation. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Chris Ruby. All right, awesome, we finally made it, we are here. Chris Ruby is in the house. Chris, how are you today? I am good, how are you doing, Darian? I'm glad to have you on for the second time. For those of you listening, you remember Chris was on last time. We had an awesome conversation. So thank you again for the second time. Yes. Thanks for having me back. I really did enjoy our conversation. I'm uh, still going through all of our notes and transcribing them. So I haven't finished yet, but I can't wait to get that on my site as well to share with people. Yeah, definitely. And uh, well, a lot has changed since we last spoke. Wow, and yeah. um Ooh, the world is a lot's been going on, but I wanted to jump into an area that I read a little bit about that you were speaking on, uh, which is brand activism, which I think is really powerful at this point in how it's approached. So I'd love to hear from you, kind of your your thoughts have been on this topic. Yeah, you know, what you say is so true when you say a lot has changed, right? Last time I was on the show, we talked about PR for doctors, right? And then the pandemic hit. And then everything else started happening in the country in terms of national protests. And so it, it seems like it was just so long ago that we recorded that. It almost seems like, wow, you know, are those things even still relevant today for people, for doctors who are thinking about their practice, mm -hmm. right? Everything changed overnight with coronavirus. And then that was what we call the first, you know, pandemic. Then there was this other pandemic about um, the second pandemic around these protests throughout the United States. And so how does someone continue to market through all of that? And what is the role of, you know, your brand or your company or your voice in social activism and in social justice causes? And again, that's not something we touched at all in the last uh, episode we did. And yet suddenly it's become front and center and almost so much more important than some of the things that we talked about last time in terms of how you build your personal brand. So what we're seeing now is that uh, people who are doing personal branding or corporate branding, if they're not taking a stand for their brand, they're actually, uh, they risk the fear or repercussion of public backlash, which again is sort of, you know, just in this entirely new phenomenon. So what is the role of that? What is the role of your company in that? Do you stay silent? Um, do you choose right. to take a stand and what does that look like when you take one? Yeah. And I, I think that it's, it's very interesting and there's looking at it on, on both sides, there's this idea of like coming out immediately and saying something and almost like, I'm going to put on, I'm going to put out, you know, a black square or I'm going to put out this statement 
is it something that's sustainable or should it be more well thought out over time? What's the pressure behind that? It seems like there's a lot of different ways to go about it. And uh, it can be confusing, I think. Yeah. yeah so I actually hosted a, a really interesting webinar around brand activism and criminal justice reform and all of these different related areas. And one of uh, one of the things that was said in that webinar by someone else, which is they said, actually, that posting a square, a black square on Instagram is not the type of action, you know, that we are looking for in this area, right? Like it, what, what they were saying is that they wanted something that was more of a long term solution to some of these challenges. And so I, you know, tend to agree with that, that when you're looking at tackling such big issues, you know, posting a one off on social media is never going to be the answer. Um, there were also um, many different challenges around that because what was happening is that when people were posting those squares, they were actually lowering some of the other important messages that, um, you know, the movement, I believe, was trying to get out. So, um, you know, at first they said, yes, post them. And then I think there was were some people saying, no, actually don't post them because uh, or, or use a different hashtag because then our content is not going to be found around us. So I think the long winded answer really to your question is that there's no um, right one size fits all approach here. I believe what the, the best approach is going to be something that is woven sort of into the DNA of your brand and your company that fits for you. So for example, when I did that webinar, uh, criminal justice reform and sort of the, the link between some of that and what's going on right now for my brand and for me was relevant and a conversation that I have been part of for five plus years right? That was not a one-off tactic. It was something that I felt really comfortable doing because it's a conversation that I have been active in. And so when other companies are thinking about what do we do here, I think the best approach and the best thing to say is really to align yourself with, uh, you know, different causes that you've always sort of, um, been active in or interested in around this larger conversation and share what you're doing around that. Yeah, I I think, you know, I think that's actually the right approach um, because I know for me as a black man, in many ways I've struggled and what's the right approach for me? You know, do I get out there and do, should I do what other people are doing? Should I sit back and think about my approach? I've been, I'm much more of what's native to me is sitting back, thinking a little bit, baking my idea and then have action related to it. And that's not everybody's approach for that. But for me, there's things I am working on that I feel like are just going to take time to do and um, in my own personal way of going about it. So I think it's interesting with brands is how they, as a, a large company or a small owned business, how they approach it could be very different based off of what they their values are related to that. Yeah. So what do you actually think in terms of like what you're seeing on LinkedIn, for example, of these okay. different sort of uh, features or spotlights that people are putting out around, um, you know, different members of communities uh, of saying, um, you know, we're going to spotlight these 15 people who are podcasters mm -hmm. in this one area. Like what, what are you, mm. what do you, do you like that? Or do you feel like, Hey, I want to, you know, how I want to get this because I'm the best podcaster and I don't want it around any of those other reasons. Cause I'll tell you me personally, if there's a list of like, Oh, 15 top women in X, Y, Z, like I personally never, I don't love being on those lists. Cause I feel like, am I getting this just because, you know, I'm a, a woman or cause I'm, I'm the best. So I want to know, like, you know, some people have actually told me they're very offended by those lists. So I'm curious what mm. you think. Yeah. That's probably not my thing either. Um, 
I'm I'm more of a I mean I may I will say things and I have written posts and things of you know about how I feel in a in a very I would say in a way that I feel is native to me. Um, but I'm much more of a behind the scenes person. I know that I'm meeting with our police chief in our town in a few weeks, and to discuss some um, programs and initiatives that we can do in our. I mean, it's a tiny little town, but I want to create like some committees, and I'm I'm committed to long term sustainable solutions that. Mm-hmm will be beyond my my lifetime. And I think that's really important. I, and I think sometimes that gets lost in the translation and social media and, and, and how we promote things, you know. And what about in terms of your podcast? Do you feel like there's any pressure right now in terms of like guests that you have mm. on or just, you know, this I've seen in a lot of the Facebook groups right now, <laughs> uh, especially in some of the female like Facebook groups that I'm part of. Um, there's like all out like just wars around this topic. Mm. Well, I mean, I think that one, really, I've never been asked that before, <laughs> so <laughs> it's awesome. I think it's amazing. I did initially. I was thinking, well, should I get people who are huge advocates for this or even on the sense of like, maybe I should have more guests of, who are of different ethnicities and stuff. And, and I just said to myself, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to produce it how I like to produce it. You know, I will have some messages that are well thought out about it. I did a small kind of message of hope and healing that I put out like 13 minutes. And that was kind of my contribution. And then I just kept rolling with how I normally integrate guests into my show. And then I wanted to work behind the scenes as I'm doing in my community to provide more long-term things. So I just didn't want to get swept up and like, now I have to do these things because this is what's happening right now, you know. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's, that's my approach too. Um, I like to be really like well thought out strategic, yes. long-term sustainable plan of action, like you mentioned. And I think the challenge that a lot of people had with this is that, you know, for that first week, those five days when all of this was happening, mm. people, I mean, I think I lost like probably 30 Facebook friends that week. Cause I didn't post, I didn't jump to post right, right away. What were and they saying? I, like, what was the well, overall, like generally? Oh, they, I, so they, I guess they don't even say anything. They just unfriend you. Right. Oh, I so see. I think, I think the notion that I was reading about in the news is that they, what they were saying is like white silence is violence. I think that's the correct mm-hmm. quote that they were okay. saying. And, and really it wasn't that I was silent. I was just thinking, I was doing exactly, <laughs> I was doing exactly what you said you were doing. Right. I was thinking about like, how do I approach this in the best possible way? How can I make a really great contribution? And then I ended up doing this awesome brand activism webinar that like I, I put together with Westchester County Business Journal and I had to five ventures and concreates and you know we were talking about like there was a platform to talk about uh entrepreneurs and training and uh, incarceration and uh they talked about the Netflix documentary 13th uh yeah. which was actually really awesome have you seen it that is I've seen it several times yeah, it was like so interesting so you know for me it was like just give me a second to like think here about what I am what I want to do. And instead, like I felt I I wasn't granted that second, you know, in those five days that was not. And so I ended up creating something I was really proud of, but I had people like unfriend me that I think I grew up with and even went to high school with because I didn't Mm -hmm. post like the same thing that everyone else posted. And, you know, part of what I write about in that article that I, I sent you on brand activism that we'll share with listeners is this notion of when you're dealing with creative people like myself or or like you, right? We don't really like being controlled. 
So like you have a podcast because you're not controlled. You have um, autonomy to really, um, you control the message, right? And it's the same thing with me having a social media and PR firm. Like I don't want to be controlled with how to do something. I want the, the freedom to create my contribution. And so when you take that away from me and tell me the, no, your contribution has to be a black square. That's not interesting to me. I want to create my own contribution. And, you know, I think that the challenge here is that there's a lot of people who feel like I do, which is like they want to create something, but they also don't want to be told what to create or how to create it. Yeah. And I think that there is a huge amount of sensitivity uh, to what's going on and many wonderful people who want to do good things. And, but I think we just have to be careful about knee jerk reactions Mm. on how we present what we're putting up because it's out there. Once it's out there, it's out there. And for, and you know how it can be, people start defining that based off of defining you based off of what you put out there in a moment of being emotional. And these are emotional things, but I think your best work comes out when you're very logical and, and, but you're logical. And when you are emotional in the sense that Mm -hmm. this is how I want to present myself. I want to be sensitive to the topic. I want to be pro um, in terms of um, getting things done, but often getting things done, there, there's different avenues to that. And just for me, I just feel my avenue needs to be one where it's more, it's more baked, the idea is complete, mm-hmm. and then I put it out that feels native to me. And that's just for me. Other people may have different ways, but I'm curious is with people you're working with and brands and things, it must be somewhat challenging because maybe they're facing the pressure as well. Yeah. Oh, definitely. They're facing pressure. And now imagine like you're a a small uh, medical practice, right? And so you've just been hit with coronavirus. Now you're finally reopening. And so maybe you've been paying like a firm, maybe, you know, maybe you put them on hold, maybe you didn't, now they're back. And now suddenly like what they're telling you, oh, wait, we don't want to post anything right now because there are these protests unless you can post this very specific message. And then suddenly they're like, but what about my reopening plans? I need you to post about that. But now you're saying you can't, you know what I mean? So it's, I do in all of this, I, I I have to say that I think it's challenging and I do somewhat feel bad for some of the small business owners who I think have been hit several times, you know, over the past few months with all of this yeah. kind of stuff. And even the ones who just got ready to reopen and then some of them got their, you know, businesses burned down. So it was like the double whammy for them. Um, you know, where I believe we are really facing a challenging economic time in this country where you look at people who got, for example, the PPP paycheck protection program Mm -hmm. loans. We don't know what's going to happen with that because we still have, you know, the economy right now is a lot of businesses are getting by because they're being floated by that. That money hasn't necessarily run out yet. And they changed the length of time that those loans were going to go on for before you ask for forgiveness. So that is very relevant to this conversation today because we we really don't actually know where we're at because we have mo- a lot of businesses are being floated by this external money. So what do those businesses look like post COVID when that money runs out? Oh my goodness, that's such a great that's an a that's an enormous point because I don't think as a society, we look at it that way, you know, from what you're you're seeing out there. And the real the real evaluation of that could come later, will come later. Like what's being done about that? So I I wonder what are the kind of general conversations you're having with brands, obviously keeping to their privacy and stuff, but overall, like what's the mood in the sense? Well, I will say what's interesting about 
you know, at least the field of public relations is most like PR firms I know and agency owners are saying, wow, I've never been so busy. Like, you know, which is a really strange occurrence because, and I thought about it and I couldn't figure out why. And I suppose the reason is like, there's one time that usually every business will hire a PR firm. And that one time is when they launch, when they open. Right. And then like, like, so, so so they'll think about hiring a PR firm for that short period of time. Then maybe they never work with another PR firm again. Obviously that's not the type of work that I do. I work with people on an ongoing basis, but there's a lot of businesses out there who say, I want you for a ribbon cutting or grand opening or this or that. So what we have now is all of these businesses reopening again. So they're all saying we need PR. It's like a a second launch for them, essentially, which is very uh, just surprising. I've never seen anything like this in in my career, in my industry, right? Because it's just not something that ever really existed before. Mm. You know, in terms of the media, like you really got one chance for your big reveal, for your big open. And now you have another. Now you're given, you know, another pass for, uh, you know, for your reopen. And what does that look like? And what are you doing differently? And so you have all of these businesses and small businesses also fighting for that limited amount of ink. And the other issue is that you have publications that have now, you know, all sort of gone virtual in a way. Some of them are no longer shipping print magazines anymore or those uh, publications. So they've had to convert to being uh, digital over the, you know, past, I guess, two and a half months. And that, that means major digital transformation that some businesses weren't necessarily even ready for. So whether you were ready or not, it's here, you know, it happened. And so I think there's this new world of uh, what, is it, how, what does it look like, you know, post-COVID with this digital transformation? And once you have made that transformation, are you going to go back to the way that things were? Mm. Or are you actually happier now and more profitable with the way things are? What are you seeing, like as you are transitioning and people have transitioned and in the future of advertising, marketing, and this different reality, what's what's relevant you feel right now? I feel what's relevant, I, it's definitely brand activism. So I, which is so, you know, I've never said that before, but I think that this notion of brands that are uh, neutral or, or sort of display neutrality are the ones that get uh, are getting hit a little bit in all of this. Um, their pages are getting unfollowed. They're getting negative reviews. I know one business owner, he posted that he was really against looting. And, you know, like he did not believe that other businesses should be burned in flames. Like that was all he posted. And then uh, other people went on his Yelp and trashed his business and called him racist. He said there's nothing wrong with what he said. You know, what he's saying is, I think not it's wrong all. to destroy other businesses. Um but I guess, you know, he, he then had to remove that because he didn't want more negative press for his business. So that's part of what I'm seeing. I'm seeing people just be really afraid. I'm seeing more people sort of distance themselves a little bit from social media. I, I, there's a lot of controversial stuff going on with Facebook right now. I saw something else again yes. with Ben and Jerry's and, you know, people pressuring advertisers to sort of stop advertising on Facebook if they don't take a certain stance. And, you know, I, I think it's... I always tell people the best space, there's a peso model that someone else coined, Jeannie Dietrich is not me, but, you know, um, paid, earned, search, and owned. And I always tell people the O and owned media is going to be your best bet for what you should do in the future of marketing and advertising. Owned media is something like this podcast you're doing. 
you own it, you own the content. Obviously, you have distribution platforms that it's it goes through, but you still have copies of all the content and it can all live on your own site. You know, I wouldn't trust, for example, that like the only distribution for this podcast should be um, on all of these other platforms. I think the best thing to do is probably keep it on your own website that you create as well where you can always drive traffic back to that. And to be honest with you, that's, that's been one of my main concerns with the rise and proliferation of podcasting, mm-hmm. which is that on the one hand, yes, it's great that you're driving backlinks to other people's, you know, to Apple podcasts and, um, you know, whether it's Anchor or YouTube or this or that. But if you look at SEO and backlinks, like, is that really like what the end goal is? No. I mean, I think the end goal is that you drive people back to your site and you're linking to each other. So what I'm noticing is there's all this linking going on, but it's like linking to Spotify or linking to SoundCloud or uh, linking to Anchor. And I'm just not sure at the end of the day that that fits in with the O of own media. Oh, really? You know, Chris, I like having you on. You have (laughs) very good points, like really intelligent points that I really like. What do you think? um, One of those, I want to circle back around to that, but the feeling on Facebook and things of that nature, what are you seeing in terms of that feeling? I feel like people are, there's a fatigue going on, on some level with that. Am I right? Wrong? What's the, what are you feeling? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I I think there's fatigue. I think there's a lot of fighting in these groups. I know I saw an article about like Upper East Side Moms, like they had a major, uh, battle. So oh I think there was a change of leadership within that Upper group. East Side Moms. Yeah. I th- and I, I think I, I think it was because I think it had to do with what was going on in the country. And then, you know, I think people said, oh, we, these posts aren't allowed in the group, right? This is a, not a group for that. And then other people were sort of saying, how could this is the most relevant thing? How could this not be allowed in, in the group? And I've seen that happen to a lot of different uh, people that are considered influencers. And then they sort of, uh, apologize. There was another, um, there was another blogger in the organic green beauty space and people surfaced something she wrote 10 years ago. And then, you know, all of her brands dropped her, you know, within 24 hours. And so I think that's the other thing, right? It's, it's one thing to have had all of this happen pre-social media, but when this happens on social media, it's, it's, it's really different, right? Because it, it's very hard to sort of like recover from that and pivot to another business when um, all of this lives online. So I think this notion of online reputation management is really important. And also that means like if you said something terrible 10 years ago, A, you shouldn't have said it, but B, maybe like you shouldn't keep stuff up like that for 10 years, you know? Like I, yeah. I just, and, and I'm seeing that, like you see that with politicians all the time, right? Someone's has said right. this 20 years ago. Yes. It just perplexes me. Like the first thing as a PR person is like, you want to look at all of that stuff and you want to clean that up. And I'm not sure why people don't do that. Online reputation management. I think that's the first time I've ever heard that phrase for that. But it's interesting. So you're saying basically like if you're working with somebody, part of their job should be taking inventory of your past post and going back and kind of running an inventory and say, hey, these are things that could be uh, problematic. Absolutely. Um, If you don't take an inventory of your past and clean up house in that regard, you're never going to be able to control your future. Why do you think 
that's not being done as much because I, I always, I like you, I always hear this about so-and-so said this, like, doesn't feel like it's done that often, you know? <laughs> I think, you know, people sort of think that privacy restrictions are different than they are. And I, I love when people go, oh, you know, my Instagram is private or my tweets are protected as, <laughs> as if that, as if that means anything at all. What does uh, that mean? <laughs> it means nothing. You know, I, I actually, I, I, I interviewed someone the other day who's a prominent attorney and we were talking about about, um, you know, social media law and all the metadata that is associated or saved mm-hmm. even just within a photo. So that, what, what does that mean? That means that everything you think is, is so, you know, the protesters, they were talking about, oh, blur their face, this or that. And what he was saying is that really that's not necessarily as relevant as scraping or removing that metadata or tags that's attached to that photo that has all the information about the device it was taken on, the location it was taken at, and who that device is owned by or registered by. Hmm. So this you know, a these lot are of good information. <laughs> yeah, these these are just things I think that people don't think about, and I think that you know people need to do their own reporting and, and really look you know deeply into some of these areas. And that's one thing that I don't see a lot. You know, you asked earlier about Facebook and what was going on and the mm-hmm. tone. One thing that sort of bothered me is that I noticed I would post something and then people would say, oh, where are the facts? Where is this from? And, and I would sort of say to people, listen, I'm giving you this information, but you have to do the follow-up work yourself. Like I'm not your assistant. Like I, I run an agency in addition to doing everything else. Like it, I can't sit here and write back and forth 50 times during business hours Because you decided to be a troll and cause a fight today. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm giving you the information I found. If you want more, you have to look for it. So I think taking responsibility with the information that we find is also really important, too. Such a good point. I actually just was in a conversation about this. I mean, it was a very layered conversation about data, property, Mm. um, data brokers and stuff. It was a whole other thing. But it was also related to that we're such a headline society mm-hmm. and we often people read the headline and they get very emotional or have this reaction and then they start typing without actually researching the information and getting into the weeds of the information to really understand it. It's almost like people don't want to understand it, just want to like, no, tell me everything. Like, don't make me work for, for it. And I find that concerning on some level. It is. It's very concerning. I, I could not agree with you more on that. And it to me, it feels just like this, you know, era of entitlement, even entitlement with information. You know, mm. if you look at the source of information or where does news come from, ideally someone had to report on that in the first place, right? So if you disagree with that or if you want more information, then you also have to report and dig in and look up the files and not just ask someone else to do that for you. But do it yourself, you know, and I, I, I think that that is very important, especially when people like to talk about fake news. And, you know, I wrote mm. an op-ed around this and um, and what the op-ed, I believe, was called uh, like COVID-19, the real source of the epidemic of fake news is mm-hmm. it's not Facebook's problem. It is your problem because you fired all your journalists. Right. I think at the end of the day, like that is where a lot of this comes from. You have so many newsrooms that are just short staff right now. And people love to say, oh, Facebook is irresponsible or big tech is responsible for circulating fake news. They are the platforms. They're not necessarily the ones that are responsible for the creation of it. And so when you continue to cut back uh, salaries and employment opportunities for writers, you're going to have more fake news. 
When did that start, uh, that process of cutting back on those, on journalists and newsrooms? Probably over the past like five to 10 years, and it just continues. Pretty recent. Yeah. And, you know, the other problem is right now is that there's this st- statistic of public relations professionals to journalists, and it's six to one. You know, that's mm. massively skewed. So, what you have is the PR industry continues to grow, the news industry continues to shrink. That's not something that you want because th- what that means is then that you have PRs who then become in control of the news. And, wow. You know, if you're if we're going to have that, then it's very important that PRs are trained in ethics and journalism 101 and, you know, all of those core principles. If PRs are then responsible for distributing that information and and so much of the time we are so much of the time, you know, things that we write can be used verbatim. So that's why, you know, our company, I just signed something called the Truth Pledge the other day which I think, actually, you could sign it to any, any listener could sign it. It was a pretty interesting thing that I found where it talks about, you know, these core principles that I admit to that, that I say that I have to do every time I distribute information it has to do with fact checking. You know, if I send out a client's bio, I have to fact check that information. And they did a study. And what they said is that what they learned is that people who sign this truth pledge, actually, it sort of behaviorally changed their patterns because they felt like I have to be accountable to this pledge that I signed and it made them uh, think about it more. I see. So it was, <laughs> there's a lot here. Um, <laughs> a lot of great stuff here. So uh, in a sense, PR people are reporting information, but not necessarily because they don't have journalistic training. They may be putting out things. They don't understand the ethical dilemmas or the byproducts of putting things out. Is, which, is that what you're saying? And essentially, well, so it's a it's a loaded sort of topic. Um, yeah, I'm saying that, but so there are some that understand it and maybe just don't care. You know, I'm not oh, I'm not part okay. of that group, but okay. um, <laughs> you know, I'm part of the group that uh, listen. I think the best PR professionals are people who are former journalists or former producers. I've always thought that. I've always thought like, how can you be in industry and really understand something if you weren't on the other side of the camera right. or right. you know the keyboard. It makes a lot of sense, actually, because you're going from one. It's weird. Like if you reverse that, you know, your journalists going to PR, they're going to have this set of kind of formal education, more than likely, and and rules and standards and values related to that. And but if you're going from PR to trying to understanding journalism, maybe maybe more difficult. And some I don't know. I'm I'm trying to grapple with that Um, because it feels like a lot of people can just become their own outlet. In, in some ways, you know? Exactly. Yeah. I, I usually don't hear of the shift from PR to journalism, but the, the shift from journalism to PR you hear about all the time. And um, yeah, those are the people you want to hire. You know, you want to hire someone that is a former TV producer or former TV booker. Uh, you want to hire someone that was a editor um, at a magazine, right? Because they, they just, it's in their DNA to understand the yeah. elements of a story, right? Like there's right. literally, like, you don't have to train them to do that because it's, they literally know how to do it like better than anyone else. So what's the big mistake of people who really don't have that background or you're just putting out information? They're, they're not sensitive to what's going on or what? Oh, so, well, the, the big mistake is that they are client directed, right? Mm. So they are a client hires them and says, for example, like I've just reopened. I'm going to pay you to do a job to get me in the media about my reopening story. Right. And so like publicist, a could say, okay, like client, I'll take you on and I'll do that. Publicist B will say, okay, but everyone else is reopening right now. So what's your story? And like, what makes that different? And I need to understand that before I say yes to this engagement. 
So that's like the bucket that I'm in. Um, you know, so people will fall into different buckets there, but you need to make sure, right? Like you can't be client uh, directed because it's a very specific skill set where a publicist has to sort of change the narrative of a story to understand, like, not just what's it's news is not what's about what's in the best interest of a client. If you if you look at that, for example, sometimes you'll see that let's say a client says, "I want to get reviewed uh, my restaurant. I want my restaurant to be reviewed in this local outlet." So, what is in the best interest of the readers of that magazine? The best interest is a review that's not biased that says the pros and cons. But if you look at what's in the best interest of the client, it's only going to be a positive review. Right. So you're always, you know what I mean? Like those right. forces are always uh, uh, working against each other. So true journalism, right? It, 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 there's always going to be a disconnect. And that's why I think if you look at the top 10 most stressful jobs in the United States year after year, PR is listed on it. Hmm. You think it's uh, for a lot of people, they don't have like that journalistic integrity where they're saying, hey, listen, this story there are two, three sides to this story. Let's report on all these things. Then you make the decision on how you feel about it. Exactly. Yeah. That, ideally, that's what you you should be doing, right? And I think that clients need to understand that a possible outcome could be that you know not every piece of coverage is going to be positive. If you really want to get that ink, someone is, you know, any any journalist worth their their salt, they're not going to write a puff piece on you, right? Puff pieces right, are called paid right. advertising or advertorial. <laughs> If you want to control the message, like you pay for it. But when you uh, work with a PR firm, like it's really essentially this whole notion of lack of control because you have zero control. And I think it's very hard for people with controlling tendencies to work with PR firms because mm. they can't control the message. And so you hire a PR firm because you think you're going to control the message. And at some level we do, right? At some level we, we craft the message, we shape the message. But what comes out, we truly do have um, limited control over. Uh, I, I tell you what, these are fascinating topics. And I, and what also I think along with this, I, I've just been having this big conversation. I'm, I'm interested in what you think about on circling back to like data property and there's new laws starting, especially in California, the, I think California mm -hmm. Consumer Protection Act, where there's this big movement of controlling your data and, you know, your online uh, information, you know, opting out of, you know, company, tech companies taking your information, data brokers, taking that metadata and using it to make money. Have you, what are your thoughts on that? I don't know if, if you're even thinking, I'm not sure about these things, but is it related to what you're doing or not? Yes. Yeah, so I started looking into that a little bit more and it's interesting. There's a site called like, have I been pawned.com. Have you Ooh, gone to that? No, no. It's really interesting because I did it. And so then it tells me that I've been like pawned like 30 times. And then it tells me all the sites that I need to change my password on. So if you oh put your email address God. in, like you'll, pro you, you know, it's probably going to happen to you too. Like, it's just, I, I put a few people in that I know. And, and it's just amazing to me. Like, you know, all of our email addresses and those passwords are floating around and being sold on the dark web. And most of us don't know this, you know, and it, it's just very scary. So that was the first thing I did is I changed that. Um, I think, you know, a lot of small business owners don't necessarily understand the changing privacy laws that you're referring to. And it's very important they do. 
Um, because Google, you know, they want to see that you have uh, disclaimers, you have terms and conditions, that you're compliant, that if you're using uh, Google Analytics on the back end, that you are clearly stating that in an updated privacy policy. You know, all of these things are important for a website. And sites can sort of be dinged in the rankings if they don't comply with some of these things. So it's it's funny because it's not something that people automatically think of when they think of search engine optimization. But, um, you know, another thing is refunds, right? So it, they want to see, do you have a clear section if you sell product on your site? Do you state that refund policy? Do you state who the author is of the content? Do you have an updated author bio for them? You know, all of that is part of EAT and SEO expertise, authority, authority and trustworthiness. And that's in the Google Quality Rater Guidelines. It's a document that's 160 pages long. It's really valuable. And they've made it available. Google has made it available for free for people to look at. And, you know, what it also says is that there's a section called YMYL, your money, your life. So people, for example, if you are a doctor, you're going to fall under the YMYL section. So let's say you're a doctor that doesn't have a privacy policy. You don't state your refund policy if you sell supplements. You don't clearly state uh, your certifications or medical degree, right? All of that is going to definitely negatively impact you in search engine rankings. So it doesn't matter if you're putting out amazing SEO rich, keyword rich quality content. If you don't follow some of these other you know, core principles of, of best practices on the web right now, it, it's going to work against you. And again, what I mean by YMYL is that any company that falls underneath that category, Google is going to say that advice you're giving me impacts your money or your life. So we, like if, if you're a doctor, you tell someone, you sh- oh, by the way, we're seeing this right now with functional medicine doctors um, around COVID. Some of them were being um, dinged. And there was also something called a medic update where you saw that a lot of people in the alternative health uh, and functional medicine space saw that when their rankings plummeted. And that's because if they say, for example, that you can cure cancer by uh, drinking green juice, that right. Google calls that alternative medicine. And so, you know, it's just, that's, I wrote a very in-depth research article on this that we can share with your listeners as well. Yes, <laughs> but, you know, all of this stuff, I know I'm sort of getting into the weeds of it, but it's so very important. And the reason I say this is because, you know, over the past few months with this pandemic, I have to say that I've spent every single night taking courses. It's been the best thing that I've done. You know, I feel like I'm addicted to these courses and to learning. And <laughs> it's it. just whether it's SEO or content, I'm just like really, I, I really feel great about it. And I urge other listeners of the show to consider doing that too, because so much of this stuff is available for free online right now. Totally true. I've I've done a very similar thing, Chris, uh, with that, and um, um, and even though I've worked for home from home for a long time, um, it's still like it's just it's interesting to arm yourself with the information of a, a variety of things. You don't realize how much you don't know about things going on. Yeah, you know, until you start seeing all this information out there. I know for me, like the next chapter has been really a lot of things going on with what's going on online, laws, consumer privacy things. There's just so much stuff you don't know about until you really dive into it. And what you're providing is a lot of uh, information-rich things to listeners and things they can do. I mean, have I been pawned? I never heard of that. (laughs) I mean, I'm going to have to go check that out. Seriously. It's like really upset. I, I feel like you probably have them and then you're going to be like, oh my God, there's like 20 different sites on there. And the other, by the way, the other scary thing about that is like, let's say uh, there's a prospect that I'm interested mm-hmm. in uh, working with. 
one tactic that I thought about was like, you could put their email address in and then you could see what sites they've been pawned on. And then that instantly gives you a demo profile of them and like what their hobbies are and all the sites they've signed up for. You know, I, obviously that's not what the site was created for, but it made me think about that. Right. So let's say I am uh, trying to get an appointment with Mrs. Jones and then I put her email address in and I see, oh, Mrs. Jones downloaded Ancestry.com and that site was hacked for her. I also see she downloaded MyHeritage.com. That was hacked too. Well, I'm very into genealogy. So why don't I bring that up in my, uh, in my email to her? Right. Again, it's like that's a growth hacking tip, the tip that I don't think growth anyone is hacking. Yeah. Growth hacking. Wow. You're, you're like you're spinning my head here a little bit today. <laughs> But so I, I I really enjoy having you on. I think what's interesting is um, just the volume of information you provided in such a short time is pretty incredible. Uh, I think this is going to be a very well received because of the, just the amount of information, the knowledge you have. And I, you know, I'm I'm really thankful that you're back on. I want to have you on again, Chris. You're you're just a vault of amazing information. And this, Thank you and, so much. Yeah. Of course. That's, that's so nice of you to say. And I always love your show and all of your content and everything you do. And, you know, I will say, I guess I can leave listeners just with this one tip. Um, a lot of people want to be a podcast guest, right? They want uh, that, like, they they want the carrot. They want that thing where they want the PR. They want that easy way, like you were talking about earlier. But th- what they don't want to do is actually do that work, right? Being a repeat guest, whether it's on TV or a podcast or anywhere else, is doing the work, like what I'm talking about, about spending five or six hours every night and constantly learning, right? If you want to be a guest on TV or a podcast or any of these other things, like you have to do that work. A PR firm can't do that for you. They can't put that knowledge in your head. Like you have to have that drive and motivation. And I don't think people realize that that's directly connected with people who have press and people who don't. And so one of the challenges that I personally have is that it's very hard if I if I'm working with someone that doesn't have that, what I can do for their brand is going to be very limited. Right? You can get them a few things, but after that if they don't want to do that work that I'm telling you about, you can't really go beyond that. Yeah. Well said. And uh, thank you so much for your time, Chris. I know you're very busy. And uh, things are popping off right now for you. So uh, (laughs) thank you for giving me some time. And I look forward to people hearing this. Of course. Thank you. Thank you as well. And we'll we'll direct, hopefully, uh, listeners to the brand activism uh, guide on on Ruby Media Group. Perfect. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the Rate and Review section. Thanks, everyone.